Hello and welcome to this episode of Evelyn Partners Investment Podcast. I'm Angelique Ritzeker and with me today is Ben Siegerscott. We're going to be discussing why company earnings have beaten expectations, gold hitting a record high and the outlook for 2024. We're recording this on Wednesday, the 6th of December, 2023. And before we begin, here's some important information. Nothing in this recording is intended to constitute advice or recommendation, and you should not take any investment decision based on its content. Any opinions expressed may be subject to change without notice. Remember that the value of investments can fall as well as rise, and you may not get back the amount you originally invested. Past performance should not be considered a reliable indicator of future returns. Different funds carry varying levels of risk depending on the geographic region or industry sector in which they invest. You should make yourself aware of these specific risks prior to investing. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, or if you need advice on your specific requirements, you should seek professional financial advice. So Ben, welcome, first of all. Great to be here. I'd um, like to kick off this podcast with a bit of good news for investors, if I may. Um it seems to be that despite higher interest rates, conflict in the Middle East and Ukraine, company earnings in the third quarter of 2023 seem to have beaten expectations. I mean, can you just draw out the reasons for this? Yeah, absolutely. You know, corporations have continued to deliver pretty impressive earnings. There's lots of reasons for that. It is worth highlighting, you know, most earnings seasons, companies do tend to beat expectations. Now, cynically, Partly that's that's down to CFOs, so chief financial officers, maybe um, engineering a little bit of, of of expectations downwards, so they can engineer a beat. It's a good sort of feel good factor, and that's why often you do see earnings uh, earnings beating overall. But there are some good fundamental drivers, in particular consumption. Consumers have carried on consuming despite the background, despite the higher interest rates. Now, some of the sources of that have been uh, a little bit surprising, but it's really been consumption activity that, that's driving these fundamentals. Of course, the background geopolitics, you highlight that the conflict in the Middle East and Ukraine is, is, is a worrying backdrop. But actually, that tends to have a lower impact on some of the fundamentals. We do watch it, as does the market, to see if it broadens out. But in terms of impacting the day-to-day earning capacity of, of companies, it tends to have less of an impact. Right. I mean, you talk about consumption and you talk about um, the consumer base then probably being strong in terms of spending. But where do they actually get that um, that spending ability from? Well, it, a lot of it comes down to consumer confidence, how happy consumers are to buy goods and services. And there's a couple of really main driving factors, I think. We keep talking about COVID. At some point, we won't won't mention COVID. But you need to remember, for, for a good couple of years, many people were getting an income and literally were unable to spend it. So we had this big savings uh, glut, and that's been slowly wound down over the last couple of years. But a lot of people have savings. At the same time, people's portfolios in aggregate are, are up over the last sort of five or ten years. That creates a wealth effect. And when people have more money in their savings, that can encourage them to spend a bit more as well. And also we've got tight labour markets. So for the last couple of years, we've seen quite a few people quitting one job, starting a new one. All of that really drives consumption. And even though over the last 12 to 18 months, there's been this talk about the cost of living crisis, obviously inflation has been high, and that's reduced people's real wages, so wages of the effects of inflation. Now inflation is coming down, at the same time wages are starting to grow. 
we're seeing the potential for that to switch over so people might once again have wages growing more more than inflation and that's really what, what what's been driving a lot of this the other thing i would highlight it's worth remembering we think about prices we think about input costs but when most people think about inflation lots of different ways to measure inflation but often we talk about the consumer price index now by definition that is the price that consumers are paying which means it's the prices that companies can pass through into higher end costs and that's what consumers are willing to pay so actually that pass through uh, is quite natural and that's why outside of extreme inflation corporations are actually pretty well placed to to weather normal inflation and that talks a little bit to to our outlook that we can touch on later of course yes um so we've we've talked about earnings but um profits seem to be doing well as well with some with some companies um can you uh is it a case of them being able to pass on this increasing cost to consumers and them obviously being able to 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 con- to to spend and to um uh, will willingly spend um or is there more to it um, I, I think really that that's not the be all and end all. There are things that companies can do in terms of their uh, cost structures, and we're seeing some of the structural changes coming through. We're seeing businesses invest for the next cycle, um, particularly in the UK in that post Brexit period. There was this cessation of of business investment while businesses waited to see what would happen on the other side, uh, and that to an extent that was global as well. That the the last decade was a pretty unloved bull market, and businesses were a little reluctant when interest rates were on emergency lows to invest in the future. But actually, some of that investment is now coming through, lots in in terms of building more capacity, investing in research and development. So there are other factors. But as we look right now, and particularly 2023, has been characterised by consumers um, defying expectations for retrenchment and carrying on to spend. So, yes, it is mostly consumer appetite that has been uh, driving activity but there are other factors as well so hopefully some of those others will start to come into the play into play over the next couple of years okay um before we unpack all of that further i couldn't help but notice or at least we couldn't help but notice that uh we've seen gold hit a record high what would you say is driving that Gold has been a, a little bit of a strange one. What we did see through no- November, there, there was a very broad rally. A lot of this is, is pinned to the perception of, of the Fed pivot, this idea that maybe interest rate hikes are, are done and at some point central banks will start to cut. And that drove a sort of everything rally through through November. Bonds did well, equities did well, and gold did well. Now, in some senses, that's, that's good news, right? People like asset prices to go up. It boosts the value of your portfolio. But actually, gold and some other asset classes, we want lower correlation over the long term. We, we tend to invest in gold for some of its uh, crisis uh, management um, capacity. So seeing it go up at the same time as other asset classes was um, a little bit of a surprise. Gold is, is a pretty strange asset class. As you say, it, it briefly broke through the $2,100 mark. Actually, it, it peaked at about $2,135 a troy ounce. That was in sort of late night, Sunday night, very early hours of Monday morning. It's quite an unusual time to, to see trading activity. Now, part of that is probably going to be there's not much liquidity in the market. So some big players can, can move it around. And actually, we saw the price spike very high and then dropped uh, quite precipitously. It moved around several percentage points. It was a volatile period. In terms of what, uh, what was driving that, uh, several factors... Often people buy gold as a safe haven. If you're not quite sure what's going to happen, people tend to pile into it 
as a store of wealth. Often that can be illusory. A gold can fall uh, quite quite quickly and can be pretty volatile. But in terms of geopolitical shocks uh, and, and other aspects, it has that that general characteristic. Central banks have been have been buying it as well. Real interest rates, if they start to start to fall, gold could could perform pretty well uh, too. So th- there's lots of different reasons that it, that it could be purchased. I think at the moment it's a bit of that relief from maybe the Fed pivoting, as well as some uncertainty out there, people buying it for, for that st- store of wealth. The, the, the one sort of final thing that, that I would add in, um, yes, it's hit an all-time high, but if you adjust for inflation, it's still below some of its earlier peaks. It, its biggest peak was in 1980, and we're still 20% below that peak if you adjust for inflation. So could we see gold go up higher in 2024? So it's always hard to, to, to call that give, given where it is. I think it would it would depend. I, I don't want to say if it'll go up or down. What I would say, if we see equity markets continue to rally through 2024, then gold may come under a little bit of pressure, particularly if people are buying that store of value. If we see bro- the broader economy doing quite well, people might choose to, to take money out of that uh, store of wealth and put it into the market. If we see shocks in 2024 then we could see it move higher. And I'd certainly expect it to act as a good uh, growth shock absorber. Um, Let's just look across the pond a little bit at the US. A couple of things that have obviously happened this year, such as their uh, sovereign credit rating that has been downgraded by Moody's and Fitch just recently. Um, But so my question for people that are interested in the US, um, should this activity put them off at all? I, I wouldn't say so. For, for most for most investors, it's, in, it's important to put this in, in, in context. The US is considered, the US government bonds are considered to be one of, if not the most uh, the safest asset that you can buy. You've got a lot of surety in terms of, uh, of payback. Obviously, they, they fluctuate a lot day to day. But if you buy US government debt, hold it to maturity, you've got a very high level of confidence that, that you'll be paid back. And I think sovereign bond rating, bond ratings in general, these ratings agencies go out, they assess the creditworthiness of companies, of governments and and, and countries and so forth. Um, I think you tend to get a bit more value at the corporate level. Most of us don't have the time or expertise to look in detail in a company's balance sheet and assign a rating. But when it comes to sovereign bonds, so for example, debt in the US or the UK, uh, there there tends to be no new information. Most of the information is, is pretty publicly available. Everyone knows in the US, as with the UK, they have quite a high level of debt, they're running quite wide deficits, and that can create some longer term problems. But I think what's really happening with the ratings agencies, they, as I said, it's not new information, but sometimes you have these sort of shots across the bow. And I think that some of the downgrades recently, bearing in mind this goes from the very highest gold rated plate gold-plated rating to one just below. There's still a very high level of certainty that you'll be paid back. I think it is a bit of a warning shot from the ratings agencies to to point out to governments globally, you need to have some sort of fiscal plan to bring in your deficits. Also with the US, we keep having this issue around the debt ceiling. uh, And I wonder if it's a a message from from the ratings agencies. Say, look, you, you can't be considered to be overall the safest government debt in the world if every couple of years you have a vote say 
actually will we or won't we pay our debts? Now, in reality, they almost certainly always will. But I think it's just a, a bit of a shot across the bow. I don't think it has an impact for, for most investors. Where it can have an impact, some some institutions, banks and, and other large institutional investors, they have very tight rules around the credit ratings they can hold some of their treasury assets in. So it can have a very small technical impact on some of those institutions. But I don't see it as a concern for, for most investors. Of course. I mean, the, the rating as it is, is still pretty good. Um, on the other hand, so if, if we look at the S&P 500 then um, and, and focus on America still, we see that it's been lifted for the most part by the Magnificent Seven, as, as people like to call them, and they include companies like Microsoft and Alphabet. Uh, and all of this has kind of been driven by the AI boom. But... I've been wondering if if investor sentiment towards AI stocks sours, what will we be left with really? Is there is there anything else that we could rely on performance wise then besides these companies? Well, so so, so this one of the interesting factors we've been talking a lot in the industry about this. Benchmarks are a good representation of the market as a whole. When we talk about the S and P five hundred, for example, that's a market cap weighted index, which means it's weighted by the size of the company. Now, when you have a small number of very large companies that can dominate the index, that can give a bit of a distorted perception of, of the market overall. So if you're just looking at size of company and the overall size of all companies, then yes, the index is moved around by some of these, these larger companies. One of the other ways we can look at it, uh, one of the measures we look at quite closely, is an equal weighted measure. So instead of weighting them by the size of the company, it just takes the 500 largest companies in the US and just weights them all equally. Um, sort of 0.2 percent. Um, so, so if, and if you look at it on that basis, that's more indicative of how the average company in the US is doing. And actually, the average company has not been doing quite as well. If you look at the numbers, as I looked at it sort of uh, earlier this week, year to date, the S and P 500 market cap weighted is up 19 percent. But if you go for equal weighted, so the typical performance of an, of an average company, it's only up six percent. And actually, as I said. A lot of that is driven by that rally in November. Before that rally, the equal weight of measure was slightly underwater. So I'd almost suggest it. it it's I'd look at things from from the other uh, the other way round, which is the the average company in the US has actually had a fairly pedestrian performance. So if we do see this AI hype dissipate and maybe those magnificent seven come under pressure, you may well see the headline index um, coming under pressure, either falling or perhaps not just bearing as well. But actually, your average company in the US, your average large company can still do pretty well. And I think that's the area that I think that there's potential for the, the rally in the US. Bearing in mind, the US has, has had a pretty strong underlying economy. There's potential for that rally in the S&P 500 led by that, 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 that magnificent seven to broaden out to other companies. So actually, I think there's a lot of opportunity. It's just one of the idiosyncrasies of the way these indices are constructed that, that perhaps tilt some of the perception today. Absolutely. So if we were to look at 2024, we obviously want to leave the majority of the conversation about 2024 for um, January's podcast, but we can't obviously avoid talking about this at, at this point. Um, is there... And there has been a bit of talk about this where there's people say there may be a potential downturn in 2024 or that we may even um, hit a recession. Do you think there's any way of avoiding any of that, though? Um, th th there are certainly ways. I think 
In terms of our house view, you know, our, our base case is for a mild recession in developed economies. Uh, and to an extent, some sort of downturn over the next 12 months is already priced in, along with a rebound in the following couple of years. Now, if we are to avoid a recession entirely, that, you know, there is there is a path to that. We call it a sort of soft landing where the economy slows down a bit, but then rebounds pretty quickly. Now, it's a pretty it's a pretty narrow pathway. It relies on central banks, particularly the US Federal Reserve and the Bank of England and the ECB getting their timing exactly right. They need to keep interest rates high enough that inflation comes down and comes under control. They then need to cut it enough to allow the, the economy to sort of continue moving along and rebound without causing recession. That's that's a pretty narrow path. It's quite difficult to achieve. But you know what? All the signs at the moment are they're continuing on, on that sort of narrow path. So there, there is a pathway to it. It's pretty narrow. What I would say, though, even if there's a mild recession, we need to try and get away from the sense that all recessions are like the global financial crises or these horrible deep, dark recessions. There's very little evidence of that from, from what I can see. As we talked about a bit earlier, a lot of companies have been investing through through the latter stage of this cycle. That should enable them to bounce quite nicely on the other side. So even a mild downturn or a mild recession is is not that bad. And to an extent, that's already priced into markets. So just because there is p- the potential for a downturn, if that's already in the price in some of the discounts we're seeing in the market, then you can still make money in, in investment terms. So it's not something we're, we're particularly worried about. Maybe there's 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 the upside where we avoid a recession entirely. There are some scenarios that, that could see us slightly further to the downside, but actually the base case is sort of for a sort of muddle through. So I don't see any uh, material medium term uh, risks that, that are not manageable for, for a broadly diversified portfolio. Right, of course. And I mean, as you point out, there are potential winners out of a you know any downturn or recession anyway um but as a, what i'd like to lead on from that then is if we can just briefly look at what we can expect in the fourth quarter of 2023 um and going into 2024 what can we what can we kind of then expect um are we going to have a santa rally this month um yeah, I mean, just just overall, talk talk us through. Do we have anything positive to look forward to at the start of the year and at the end of this year? Ah, uh, well, yes, yes and no. Whether or not we we have a Santa rally, well, you know, November has been very strong so far, and that could continue. Momentum is is a powerful driver in markets, uh, and we often there'll be now lots of news reports about Santa rallies. Um, it does happen fairly frequently. But on the flip side, it's not guaranteed. If you look at 2018, actually, the, the market adhered, so the lowest point was on Christmas Day before before it rebounded. So we'll need to see on that score. I would separate out market performances from economic performances in, in the latter part of, uh, of this year and the start of, of next year. And a lot of it comes back to what we are talking about just before. Some sort of downturn is priced in. The expectation is that earnings activity and uh, economic activity, so GDP, for example, is likely to start dipping before potentially a rebound later in 2024. But that's already priced in. So even if that comes through, that's that's in line with expectations. And at the same time, we're also likely to see inflation starting to move lower as well. And that's really what markets are going to, to focus on. As you said, we're recording this on Wednesday, the 6th of December. So that's two days before we get the US labour market report. 
That's going to be very closely watched. In the next few weeks, we'll have uh, CPI inflation data from the US uh, and other countries. Uh, So that's going to be something to watch very carefully. And like I said, we're looking for that narrow pathway to deliver. So jobs perhaps cooling, but not seeing a significant rise in unemployment. That would be a good sign. Inflation continuing to trend lower. And that's really what markets are pricing in. That sort of gentle cooling could still be positive for markets. If we see any surprises, if we see these numbers looking darker sort of in this month and maybe in January, if it looks like markets are are falling too fast or indeed the economy is is remaining a little bit too hot, then those could start causing markets to to wobble uh, a little bit. It comes back to our our point before about this narrow path to to avoiding uh, a recession having a soft landing. But actually, a, having some uh, buffer in, in terms of market expectations, a little bit of expectation that there is a downturn means even though we're likely to see news reports of uh, cooling activity, because it's already priced in, that can still be a positive environment for markets. And in 2024, will we see interest rates being cut? I know you've, you've touched on it briefly during this podcast, but you know, can you give us anything definitive at all about that possibility? Uh, I can't give you anything definitive, but I can give you a couple of scenarios and and points to watch. And it's a really hot area of of discussion at the moment. Where are interest rates going to go? Are they going to be cut? The the, the consensus, which I'd say I would agree with, we're probably, touch wood, at the end of the interest rate hiking cycle. Most central banks are now in a pause and see mode. They talk a good talk. They'll talk hawkishly about raising rates if they see inflation danger coming through. But it's difficult to see where fresh inflation pressures would come from. If they, they do come through, then all bets are off. But as it stands now, that we're probably at, at the end of that hiking cycle. We're looking towards the potential for, for interest rate cuts. Now, where those when those cuts happen, that's really where the live question is. Markets are, are, are sort of expecting, we can look at market pricing. The markets are pricing in uh, US cuts uh, to interest rates in sort of the first half of next year. UK interest rates may be cut the second half. Um, some some economists and some market commentators are a bit more optimistic and think we may get them February, March time. That does seem optimistic to me. Um, my base case, I, I think we're probably looking later in the year. I think that there is a bit too much optimism. You know, the, the idea that the Fed and, and other central banks get the hiking right, inflation comes down, then they can cut and everything everything's gravy. Uh, that seems quite unlikely. But crucially, it's going to depend on on the flavour of these cuts. So everyone says, you know, that the next move is likely to be an interest rate cut. That's probably true. To me, the most important things for markets is is what causes those cuts. If inflation comes down to a manageable level and the, the Fed and others can say, now we can start reducing interest rates because the economy is still going, inflation's coming under control, that enables us to cut cut interest rates, that's going to that's likely to be positive for markets. That's a good news story. If, however, the inflation is coming down, but then the Federal Reserve says, look, the economy is is full is cooling too quickly. If we start to see unemployment rising, if we start to see earnings and GDP falling more rapidly, then that could be a negative sign. So if if central banks have to cut interest rates because the economy is cooling too quickly uh, and, and things are deteriorating faster than they expect, that's not a great sign. You don't want interest rates to be cut because things are going badly. If they're being cut because actually inflation is now where we want and everything's ticking along, 
that's that's a positive outlook. Either way, I wouldn't expect it to be at, at the earlier end. If if it's earlier, to me, that's probably because things are, are going more wrong than than hoped. Okay, so we shouldn't wish for that to happen too early in in the new year. Then, great, thanks. Ben, for that roundup, and uh, thank you for our listeners for tuning in. All references and lines spoken about this episode can be found in our episode show notes, and you can find lots of other investment articles on evelyn.com, including our latest outlook. Daniel Casali will be with us in the new year in the studio for our next podcast episode, and we'd love to have you join us then if you can. Please do subscribe to our show, and if you haven't done so, and you can rate us and review us on the App Store, Until next time.